The Mary Bakers at Relevant Radio present Episode 16, Tiny Tim. Master Peter Cratchit and the two ubiquitous young Cratchits went to fetch the goose, with which they soon returned in high procession. Such a bustle ensued that you might have thought a goose the rarest of all birds, a feathered phenomenon to which a black swan was a matter of course. And in truth, it was something very like it in that house. Make way, make way for the Christmas goose. Make way. Oh, that there. You must not forget the gravy. Come now, come, Peter. And where are the potatoes, Belinda? I'll fetch them. Hold on. And Martha, are the plates set? Yes, Mum. They will be. Will be is not is, young man. Come, young Tim. Let's us two sit down here and wait for the women to finish setting this fine feast. Come, Edward. Help me get these chairs. I'll pull these in. At last the dishes were set on, and grace was said. They were succeeded by a breathless pause, as Mrs. Cratchit, looking slowly all along the carving knife, prepared to plunge it into the goose's breast. Cut the goose, Mama! Whoa, Mama! Hurrah! There was never such a goose. Bob said he didn't believe there was ever such a goose cooked. Its tenderness and flavor, size and cheapness, were the themes of universal admiration. Eked out by applesauce and mashed potatoes, it was a sufficient dinner for the whole family. Now, I've never seen a goose disappear so fast, even when I've chased it. I don't believe that we've ate it all. Why, there's still some left. I can't eat any more. Oh, well, Peter, I suppose you won't be wanting any dessert. We still have pudding, isn't that right, Mum? (laughs) How did you remember that, Robert? Yes, that's right. It's a shame that Peter will have to wait until next Christmas to have some, isn't it? I'm still hungry, Mum. Don't worry. (laughs) Peter. Shall I help bring it in? No, you change the plates out, Belinda. I can't bear any witness to this. If it's not cooked through, I don't want anyone else seeing my handiwork. I'll take the pudding in myself. It'll be grand, love. Don't worry. Mrs Cratchit left the room alone to take the pudding up and bring it in. Suppose it should not be done enough. Suppose it should break in turning out. Suppose somebody should have got over the wall of the backyard and stolen it while they were merry with the goose. A supposition at which the two young Cratchits became livid. All sorts of horrors were supposed. In half a minute, Mrs Cratchit entered, flushed but smiling proudly, with the pudding like a speckled cannonball, so hard and firm, blazing in half of half a quartern of ignited brandy and adorned with Christmas holly stuck into the top. Here we are, my lovelies. Christmas pudding. Christmas pudding. Hurrah! Why, Mrs Cratchit, I never thought I would say such a thing. But this pudding, yes, this pudding is the greatest success achieved since our marriage was begun. Now? Robert, mind the children. Would ye say the pudding was a greater achievement than our young Peter or our Belinda? Oh, well, we'll just have to see. I haven't tasted it yet. But better than Peter. Well. Well, I'm sure that it weighs more than Master Peter. You cut it, Robert. I'm done with now. Now I need to put me feet up. I had my doubts about the quantity of flour, but I do say it looks to be a fine pudding. Everybody had something to say about it, 
but nobody said or thought it was at all a small pudding for a large family. It would have been heresy to do so. Any Cratchit would have blushed a hint at such a thing. At last, the dinner was all done. The cloth cleared, the hearth swept, and the fire made up. The compound in the jug being tasted and considered perfect, apples and oranges were put upon the table and a shovel full of chestnuts on the fire. Then all the Cratchit family drew round the hearth, in what Bob Cratchit called a circle, meaning half a one, and at Bob Cratchit's elbow stood the family display of glass, two tumblers and a custard cup without a handle. These held the hot stuff from the jug, however as well as golden goblets would have done, and Bob served it out with beaming looks while the chestnuts on the fire sputtered and cracked noisily. Then Bob proposed, A Merry Christmas to us all, my dears. God bless us. A Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. A Merry Christmas, my love. God bless us, everyone. God bless us indeed, Tim. He has blessed us, hasn't he, Mum? That he has, love. Indeed he has. Tiny Tim sat very close to his father's side upon his little stool. Bob held his withered hand in his, as if he loved the child and wished to keep him by his side and dreaded that he might be taken from him. Scrooge, invisible as he was, observed this keenly and turned to the ghost. Spirit, tell me if Tiny Tim will live. I see a vacant seat in the poor chimney corner and a crutch without an owner, carefully preserved. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, the child will die. No, no, oh no, kind spirit, say he will be spared. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, none other of my race will find him here. What then? If he be like to die, he had better do it and decrease the surplus population. Spirit, no, no. I did not know then what I have seen when I said those words. I, I... Man, if man you be in heart, not adamant, forbear that wicked can't until you have discovered what the surplus is and where it is. Will you decide what men shall live? What men shall die? It may be that in the sight of heaven... You are more worthless and less fit to live than millions like this poor man's child. To hear the insect on the leaf pronouncing on the too much life among the hungry brothers in the dust. Scrooge bent before the ghost's rebuke and trembling cast his eyes upon the ground. But he raised them speedily on hearing his own name. Mr. Scrooge, I'll give you a toast to Mr. Scrooge, the founder of the feast. The founder of the feast, indeed. I wish I had him here. I'd give him a piece of my mind to feast upon, and I hope he'd have a good appetite for it. My dear, the children, Christmas Day. It should be Christmas Day, I am sure, on which one drinks to the health of such an odious, stingy, hard, unfeeling man as Mr Scrooge. You know he is, Robert. Nobody knows it better than you do, poor fellow. My dear, Christmas Day. I'll drink to his health for your sake and the days, not for his. Long life to him. A Merry Christmas and an Happy New Year. You'll be very merry and very happy, I have no doubt. The children drank the toast after her. It was the first of their proceedings which had no heartiness. Tiny Tim drank it last of all, but he didn't care two pence for it. Scrooge was the ogre of the family. The mention of his name cast a dark shadow on the party, which was not dispelled for full five minutes. 
<laughs> After it had passed away, they were ten times merrier than before, from the mere relief of Scrooge the baleful being done with. Bob Cratchit told them how he had a situation in his eye for Master Peter, which would bring in, if obtained, full five and sixpence weekly. The two young Cratchits laughed tremendously at the idea of Peter's being a man of business, and Peter himself looked thoughtfully at the fire from between his collars, as if he were deliberating what particular investments he should favour when he came into the receipt of that bewildering income. Martha, who was a poor apprentice at a milliner's, then told them what kind of work she had to do, and how many hours she worked at a stretch, and how she meant to lie abed tomorrow morning for a good long rest, tomorrow being a holiday she passed at home. Also how she had seen a countess and a lord some days before, and how the lord was much about as tall as Peter, at which Peter pulled up his collar so high that you couldn't have seen his head if you had been there. All this time the chestnuts and the jug went round and round, and by and by they had a song about a lost child travelling in the snow from Tiny Tim, who had a plaintive little voice and sang it very well indeed. There was nothing of high mark in this. They were not a handsome family. They were not well dressed. The shoes were far from being waterproof. The clothes were scanty. And Peter might have known, and very likely did, the inside of a pawnbroker's. But they were happy, grateful, pleased with one another, and contented with the time. And when they faded, and looked happier yet in the bright sprinklings of the spirit's torch at parting, Scrooge had his eye upon them, and especially on Tiny Tim, until the last. Subscribe at adventwithscrooge.com for the next episode of A Christmas Carol, and download a free companion guide with activities, questions, and coloring pages. Subscribe for free at adventwithscrooge.com. adventwithscrooge.com. Adventwithscrooge.com.